This is Dave of Live Life Loud, the Decibolic Podcast, and you're listening to Pods Like Us with Marv. Welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Cubell, known to my friends as Marv, and this time I'm speaking with uh, an, another returning guest um, from season. Uh, can't remember. I, I should have written all this down. Oh dear. Uh, but I'm speaking with uh, Matthew DeSantis, and now about the fantastic new podcast about uh, horse racing, The Wind Place. Hey, Matthew, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's a real pleasure to be back, and I look forward to talking to you about the podcast and so much more. Thank you. And in case, just so that I can get it over uh, across, Matthew does the show as well, From the Swamp to the Swamp, which is um, personally one of my favorite uh, political shows on the internet. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. I I really enjoy doing that, and uh, my... Uh, the two things I can talk intelligibly about are politics uh, and horse racing. So I've managed to turn both of those into podcasts. <laughs> and uh, gang- gangster and mafia films, as uh, yeah. <laughs> our talk before proves. <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's true. I do know a little bit about that, too. <laughs> so, yeah, what, what I like about that, just in passing the uh, from the swamp to the swamp, is it's not too long either. It's just about the right length. Yeah, it's interesting. When you had me on uh, the first time and to talk about from the swamp to the swamp, you know, a lot of my episodes were a little bit longer. You know, they were kind of 45 minutes to an hour. And over the summer, I really recalibrated the show and changed it up a little bit. And now the episodes are closer to 25 to 30 minutes. And I just focus on kind of one or maybe two topics uh, in any given week. So it's a little bit more trimmed down, a little bit more streamlined, a little bit quicker to listen to, you know, if you're in the car, you know, doing errands, things like that, by the time you're done doing that, you know, the podcast is probably over. And so it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to kind of restructure the show a little bit over the summer. And uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback. So I appreciate your kind words. And uh, it's been a lot more fun for me to do this a little bit more free flowing, shorter uh, version of the podcast. And that was you featured in season two, episode 23, by the way. Oh, very good. So um, anyway, the wind place, uh, 
so what's the history with your knowledge of horse racing? Yeah, so I, it, it really goes back to uh, my childhood, uh, that when I was a kid growing up, both my parents really enjoyed horse racing. Uh, I grew up in uh, southeastern Pennsylvania in the United States, and there's a number of horse tracks around that area. Uh, and so when I was growing up, you know, obviously we would watch the really big races in the United States, like the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness and the Belmont that are part of the Triple Crown. But there were also local tracks that we would just go to and watch local horses and jockeys and trainers uh, compete. And I remember my dad probably took me to the one track when I was 12 years old and taught me how to read a racing form you know, which can be pretty overwhelming. There's a lot of numbers, a lot of information on those racing forms, but, you know, he helped me kind of understand what I was supposed to look at and, uh, you know, taught me how to go down to the paddock where the horses are and take a look and what I should look for in horses and things like that. And so it's just something that I've always really enjoyed and has have kept up with over the years. And when I was, you know, a, a young adult, I had a lot of friends who, also were from different parts of the country, but had similar experiences to me that they were all, they all grew up near horse races, uh, horse racing tracks in New York or Maryland and places like that. So they were all into horse racing too. So I started kind of talking about horse racing with them or when I would go visit them, you know, college or after college, you know, going to the track was always one of the things we like to do. So it's just something I've always kept up with and, uh, something that I just always love. And, and I watch it all the time, you know, not just the big races, but watch, you know, just the, you know, Thursday, Friday races, uh, that might not have as many big names and even watch the races that take place over in England and, and overseas from time to time as well. That's great. So you've got that build up now and now you're a huge fan of the of the sport yourself and you do the you went from that to doing youtube videos on uh, for for the amalfi media yeah yeah we started this as really an experiment you know it's funny amalfi uh our, our company that my brother started we have a lot of different podcasts you know we have podcasts on kind of history and current events and politics and finance and pop culture but we didn't have a podcast on sports no. And my dad and I are both huge sports fans. Um, my brother, not as much. And so, uh, But what happened was I just, you know, this spring, I looked at the sports calendar, if you will, and I saw a lot of potential interesting sporting events and some were in golf and some were in horse racing, some were in the NFL. And so it was just kind of all over the place. And I thought, you know, it would be fun to start maybe doing some of this, but I wasn't sure if it was a podcast yet. And so it was just easier for my brother, Nathaniel, who does all the production to just put it up on YouTube rather than start a new podcast feed. And so I was doing these racing previews of the big triple crown races here in the United States, the Derby, the Preakness and the, and the Belmont. And when I did the Belmont preview, it really blew up. I mean, we had a few thousand views and we got a lot of really positive feedback and uh, people got really excited about it. And so from there, I just started doing more and more and developed a little bit of a following to the point where Nathaniel and I decided uh, it would be great to launch a horse racing only podcast. And so that was when we started the idea of doing the win place show. And uh, it was uh yeah, just a kind of this natural evolution. So we just actually transitioned 
last week and people can still watch the current episodes on YouTube as well. But if you just want to get it in a podcast form, you can do that also. So, hey, this is Tim for Bad Counsel. You want some good counsel? Keep listening to the smooth, dulcet tones of Marv on Pods Like Us. <laughs> so what sort of structure does the podcast actually use then? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it, it, it varies a little bit. So I have a few different types of episodes. So I'll have like a picks and previews episode. And those are obviously previewing the big races. And so what I'll typically do in those instances is kind of talk about each one of the races one at a time. And so normally there's maybe three or four really big races on any given day. And so I will go over the fields, the horses that are entered into that particular race. And then depending on the number of horses, I'll talk about each of them, or if there's like 15 horses in a field, I might only pick maybe the five or six that I think are the most important and give a little bit of background to people about what they should be looking for from a betting standpoint, where there might be good value uh, and give my predictions about who I think is going to win place and show uh, finish first, second, and third. And so uh, that is kind of the basic structure. And then I kind of move on to the next race and, and do that for the races on that particular card. Uh, we also do uh, recap episodes now where on Monday mornings, I kind of recap what happened the previous weekend. And in those, I just talk a little bit about what I got right and what I got wrong from my picks and predictions. And then I do kind of three big takeaways from the weekend, three lessons learned, if you will, uh, that we can take in terms of maybe how a horse performed and how they're maybe setting up to run in bigger races in the future or other trends that we should be aware of or things like that. So, um, and then occasionally I'll also interview people, uh, on the podcast as well, who are in the horse racing industry. And those are always a lot of fun to talk to people who have such a vast amount of knowledge about horses and horse racing and handicapping and all that stuff. So how do you go about actually getting, you know, finding out about those guests and how to get hold of them? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Cause I, at first I had no idea. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I will say social media is amazing. Uh, and so I have a horse racing Twitter account. Uh, the handle is called at failed to menace. And I just started reaching out to different people who were prominent in the horse racing industry, uh, through social media, you know, people who were, you know, worked at different tracks or had other, uh, handicapping shows or people who were maybe national figures, uh, on television, hosting uh, horse racing uh, events. And I just reached out to them and explained who I was and a podcast and, uh, or the show at the time, cause it wasn't even a podcast yet. And just said, you know, would you be interested in coming on? And uh, honestly, they could not have been nicer. Everybody said yes, that I've reached out to, uh, and everybody's been really kind about, you know, coming on and spending, you know, maybe 20, 25 minutes talking to me about different subjects. And, you know, I'll always send them the questions ahead of time. So they're well-prepared because there's a lot of minutia in horse racing and I don't want to catch them off guard with anything. Uh, but it's been, it's been great uh, getting to talk to those people and, and establish relationships with them professionally and uh, work with them uh, and, and run into them at different tracks when I go to visit. So uh, that's been, uh, like I said, a real fun highlight of starting this is getting to know other people in the industry. 
Yeah, because the, the other show that you do, again, going back to that, uh, from mm-hmm. the swamp to the swamp, you've got a history in politi- politics anyway by by teaching politics. Uh, so you, you would have quite a few um, relationships or you'd, you'd know these people already from, from I don't want to say yeah. the other yeah. yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I, I would have had, yeah, I had a lot of, you know, when I did the political interviews, and I still do occasionally, when I do those, I mean, a lot of those people are individuals that I have gone to school with, that I, some of my former students who have gone on to do really ex- exciting things in politics, um, or just people who, a lot of them were like friends of friends. Um, and, and, you know, we had maybe a common connection, went to school at the same institution, or we, uh, you know, know some of the same people. And, I uh, was able to kind of leverage some of those connections to bring people on, but uh, with horse racing, it was, yeah, just kind of starting at ground ground zero and just reaching out to people. And uh, like I said, everybody's been so nice uh, and, and that's a really insular community. And on Twitter, you know, it is definitely a horse racing community. You know, there's definitely horse racing. Twitter is a thing. And it is, uh, it's a lot of people who sometimes get into a lot of arguments about horses, but, um, but you know, they really are very nice people and and always willing to help each other out. And I think that's one of the things that I've found is that in the United States, horse racing used to be a really popular sport. I mean, in the 1970s, when my mom and dad were growing up, horse racing was like one of the two or three major sports in this country because you had all of these dominant triple crown winners like Secretariat affirmed in Seattle Slough, these great horses. Uh, and over the 1980s and 90s and early 2000s, the, the industry really went into decline. And part of it was because horse racing isn't on television all the time and all these other sports are in the United States. So football, baseball, basketball, hockey all became much more popular and tracks started to not do as well. So, you know, in my experience, the people who love horse racing are always eager to talk about horse racing with others to try to get more people involved in the sport, grow the sport, uh, and get new people interested. So, uh, like I said, it's been great reaching out and talking to those individuals. So so how often are you releasing episodes? Because it's, it's like you're, you're releasing episodes more than once a week. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, some of it just depends on the racing schedule, but I will always at least have one preview episode, picks and preview episode a week. Um, sometimes I'll have two or three, depending on how, when the big races are taking place. Uh, so for instance, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, uh, and there are three big races this coming Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, and so I'm actually going to have three separate episodes, one that comes out Thursday morning, one that comes out Friday morning, one that comes out Saturday morning. Uh, so, you know, it just depends, you know, next week there might only be one picks and preview. Uh, and then I'll do kind of one recap episode that comes out on a Monday, uh, and occasionally not weekly, but occasionally I'll have interviews. So that might be every other week or every third week, uh, or something like that. So there are, you know, quite a few episodes, definitely something that will populate your podcast feed, uh, every couple of days, uh, with, with something new. So when you uh, predict these, just just as a as a as a as a tangent, do you mm-hmm. actu- do you actually put any of these uh, on as bets yourself? I, I do. Uh, yes. Not all. Not all the time. Uh, I I like to be at a track 
in order to, to actually bet on a race. Uh, because as much research as you can do ahead of time, and one of my guests that I actually had on, Acacia Courtney, who's a, kind of a national figure in horse racing, who covers it for a major network over here in the United States, Fox Sports, and, and covers a lot of racing in New York. She said that she changes her mind regularly when she sees a horse in person on the day of the race. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind that you can look at a racing form and judge past performances and do all of this research. But a lot of times when you go to the track and you just see the horse and you see how the horse is responding and it's, if its ears are pricked up, if it's trotting a certain way, um, you know, or it, does it have its head down? Does it look lethargic? I mean, it, so many things have an influence on that. And so a lot of times I don't like to bet unless I'm there at the track and, and then I can kind of get a sense of, okay, this is what my research has told me who I think is going to win. And this is what my eyes are telling me who's going to win. And in some cases, those two are the same thing, but sometimes horses surprise you and you see a horse at the track and you go, wow, I didn't think that horse really was going to offer much, but man, it looks really great. Looks super sharp and on point. Uh, you know, maybe I should put a few dollars on this horse instead. So, uh, but, but when I do make pricks and predictions and then I go to the race that weekend, uh, I, I do put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. Yeah, and going back to that, I mean, horses, uh, just like any animal, you know, sometimes like like ourselves, you'll have off days and occasionally you'll actually be better and feel more physically alert than than you are normally as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. No, then I think that's I think that's one of the things people sometimes get frustrated with is they look at a racing form and they just think everything's in the numbers. and it, it, that gets you a lot of the way there, but you really do have to judge how a horse looks. And, you know, you can just tell sometimes when they get out right before the race, it, you can sometimes see the jockey really pushing the horse to kind of work out a little bit before, you know, and get warmed up. And, you know, that can just be a huge red flag occasionally. Um, whereas, and, and then there's sometimes you, you get to a track and you see a horse and you just think to yourself, well, that horse looks half crazy. Uh, that, <laughs> that horse is out of control. Uh, and, and, and you always want to kind of balance. You want a horse that's keyed up, you know, that looks ready to run, but there's a very thin line between ready to run and out of control. And you, <laughs> you don't want out of control. You, you want somebody who's ready to run. So, um, like I said, it, it, you're right. I mean, there are good days, there are bad days, and um, and you just have to take that into consideration. Hey, this is Brian with Concert Stamp Madness Podcast, and you're listening to Pods Like Us, a great show about other great shows. So getting ready for recording an episode, um, do you do you research past, past uh, stats on, on each of the, the, the riders and the horses that you're speaking about in the races? Absolutely. So I will get a racing form a couple of days before I record uh, for that particular race. And that'll have the information for all of the horses uh, that are in that field. And I will spend, you know, a significant amount of time looking over those forms and, you know, looking at, you know, how much success maybe a certain jockey or trainer has had with a particular horse or at a particular track, how the horse has performed at different distances on different surfaces, 
here in the United States, we have a lot of dirt racing, but we also have turf racing. So sometimes horses are better on one surface than the other. Uh, and so looking back to see which surfaces the horse is best at or which distance they're best at. Uh, and then what I'll also do a lot of times, particularly for some of the bigger races, is I'll go back and watch old races of theirs, you know, or their last two or three performances on YouTube and just get a sense of what was that trip like? You know, was the jockey really pushing the horse, um, you know, toward the end Did the horse win easily, you know, did the horse just have a bad break at the very beginning and kind of get pushed to the back or, you know, what happened in that race? And so sometimes I like to do that as well, just so I have a little bit more context about what happened in, in some of the previous races, because you can't necessarily always see that on the racing form. So, uh, yeah, so I spend some time doing that sort of research before I start talking and making predictions. And I'm guessing you do the same for when you, uh, when you get guests on, you will research, uh, as much as you can on those people as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you, you try to find out what they, where their background is, what they're really, you know, what their expertise is within horse racing. Uh, it's interesting. One of the guests I had that I mentioned to Casey Courtney, one of the things that she really knows a lot about is, uh, what is referred to as kind of bloodstock in, in a lot of cases or breeding. And so she's very familiar with different horses and how their offspring perform. And that's a very, very expensive business uh, to get into the purchasing of yearlings, uh, horses that are just a year old. And, you know, she knows a lot about that. So when she came on the podcast, I made sure to have, you know, a few questions about that. So she could kind of show off her expertise in that area. Um, another one of my guests knew a lot about turf racing in the United States. So I wanted to make sure she had the opportunity to talk about that, uh, to show off her knowledge. So, uh, always try to make sure that I put my guests in the best position to share something new and exciting with the audience. Yeah. Because when you, uh, the other day I was listening to, you spoke with, um, Oh, uh, Jessica. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Paquette. Yeah, that's the one. And that you were, it was fascinating when you were talking about the uh, kids to the cup. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was her experience of, you know, and that's a great program to get young kids interested in, in getting them to go to the Breeders' Cup, uh, which is kind of the creme de la creme, uh, the, the, the very best of the best, the champions of the champions uh, race against each other at the end of the year. This year, it's in November at Del Mar, which is a racetrack out in California. And uh, yeah, she got wrapped up in that as a kid. And that was really what her main introduction into uh, horse racing. And it's always great to get them to have those personal stories about how they got involved. And everybody's got a different story about how they got involved in horse racing. And uh, I think that's always a lot of fun to, to learn about the genesis of their interests. Okay. I'm guessing recording and editing is much the same as you do with From the Swamp to the Swamp, where you will... If you're interviewing someone, you'll interview them much like we are now over Zoom or something similar. Mm -hmm. uh, and then um, and then when you're on your own, I, I forgot now, do you do the same as Blaine and you do it on a, because um, I know Blaine does it with his uh, iPad, I think, doesn't he? No, I, I haven't gotten as spiffy as doing it on my iPad. I still do it on my uh, iMac. I do it on my laptop. But yeah. Um, yeah, we use a, a service called Riverside, uh, and yes. I'll, I'll record everything on that. And, um, and it, when it was a YouTube show, you know, the visual was really important. And so I would always make a point 
because you know in america and it's true over in england too because i've been to racing over in england um and is that you know people dress up when they go to the racetrack you know especially for the big race and so i would always make a point to dress up a little bit so i would put on a, a sports jacket and a button-down shirt and wear a little cap uh you know to, and get dressed up a little bit for the youtube and, uh, and, and so that was a lot of fun just to kind of do that and, and to get into it a little bit. Uh, but obviously the visual was so important. So just making sure lighting is correct and, uh, that, you know, the, the camera is framing me correctly and things like that. Um, and then I would also, uh, develop graphics that I would have, uh, Nathaniel, my brother and the producer, uh, put into the video. So I would have graphics for showing all of the horses names and all of the jockeys in the race. Wow. Uh, and then when I was talking about it, he would, and I would kind of give an audio cue and I would say something like, now let's take a look at the horses in the field. And that was kind of the audio cue for Nathaniel to put that graphic up in the video. And so when you were watching on YouTube, you could watch and you could read the horses names and jockeys as I was going through them and talking a little bit about them. So, uh, so that, that made it a little bit different than what we did with the normal podcast, but, uh, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun to, to do. And, and I, I find myself still, still dressing up, even though I'm on a podcast and I'm not, I don't need to worry about the video anymore. So what, what's your collection of hats and fascinators like? <laughs> so I really, I have a bunch of hats, but I, I like to just kind of wear one, which is this little kind of like a newsboy cap from like the 1920s. It's just kind of a, um, a, a, a little, uh, easy little cap to put on. And, uh, and that way also people have started to, this is actually a funny story as I'll tell it very quickly. Uh, but I, when I was doing the YouTube show, uh, which, which is which is still going, I should mention. But uh, when I was doing it just on YouTube, I did a preview for a race in Virginia, okay. and uh, I went down to the track that a couple of days later for the actual race. And I remember some person that I have never met before in my life came up to me and said, "Are you Matthew?" And I, I kind of looked at them. And I said, "Yes." And I said, "Do I know you?" And they go. No, but my wife and I were just watching your preview episode and I recognized your hat. And so <laughs> I just wear the same hat. So that way people can always recognize me no matter what track I'm at. And I'm, I'm easily uh, spotted in the crowd. Uh, but it was uh, that was a lot of fun, actually, just to, uh, to to run into someone who'd been watching some of my stuff and then just randomly meet them at the track one day. Wow. It's not something that you really expect, is it? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, and, and that's maybe the beauty of uh, podcasting is there's a level of anonymity that's associated with it. But uh, when, when you you know, put your image out there, I mean, people, especially in horse racing, where it's a small community. Uh, and so, yeah, it was just it was really funny and it did catch me off guard a little bit. But uh, uh, but, you know, guy was nice enough. And and and, uh, and so it was a really fun interaction. Uh, but yeah, I always wear my one little cap and, and that's, uh, that's my signature go-to. I wonder if that happen, happens to, uh, Magda, uh, who does the Amalfi show, no fear cooking. If anybody comes across, comes across here and says, Oh, you're the one who does the cooking show on YouTube. 
<laughs> I wonder. I don't know if she's had yeah. that happen. Um, they should definitely stop her at the store when she's buying all the great products for the show uh, and get some more inside information on the recipes. But uh, yeah, I'll have to ask her uh, next time I talk to her about that because uh, you're right. I mean, she's get she gets a lot of viewers uh, on that YouTube show and uh, uh, from not just you know Greenville but all over. So uh, it, maybe she needs to start going to like cooking conventions or something like that. I, I'm sure she has a lot of fans there. Well, going off on another tangent, I think that's a subject yeah. that's very um, popular with people around the world, you know, with British Bake Off and all these cookery shows. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they've even got their own network, haven't they, with Food Network. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that's it's hit a specific niche. Absolutely. Yeah, very much. And, and, you know, Magda has uh, such a varied background. I mean, she's Romanian, but then she married my dad who has a strong Italian heritage. Uh, and so she has this really interesting fusion of, you know, Romanian and Eastern European dishes, uh, but then Mediterranean dishes that she's gotten to know really well through the Italian side of our family. And, uh, and then she's lived in the South, you know, for the last 15 years, you know, 20 years. And so she's picked up a lot of real traditional Southern cooking as well. So, uh, she's got a, a, a real great repertoire of, the, of food. So if any of your listeners are foodies, uh, they should definitely check it out. Wow. I'm, I'm looking forward to like a, a, a jambalaya, uh, Romanian style. <laughs> she, trust me she can do anything romanian style so <laughs> brilliant i'm agent scott and i'm cam the provocateur and we're from the spy hards podcast that's right and you are listening to pods like us the podcast that also has the midas touch so with with, with this i mean with, with your job as well how do you actually find the time to make all these podcasts <laughs> That's a good question, Marv. Uh, I, I, I ask myself that question sometimes too. Um, you know, part of it is just, you know, from a personal standpoint, you know, I'm single and I, I don't have any kids. And so, you know, that frees up some extra time, certainly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I work a traditional nine to five and, you know, working in administration and higher education is, it's a, it's a big job, but it's also a job where I don't have a lot of spillover after hours. So my evenings are usually really sequestered off and my weekends are usually protected uh, so that I don't have to do too much work there. So a lot of times I'll do my swamp recordings about politics on a Sunday or maybe a Saturday. And then I'll do my recordings for the wind place show in the evenings during the week, uh, you know, on a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, uh, or something like that. So, uh, you know, it definitely takes up a lot of my free time, but you know, it's interesting during, particularly during the pandemic, I think so many of us got stuck staying inside and, um, you know, just were, I don't know. I think a lot of people, you know, got caught in a rut a little bit. We were just watching movies and kind of not really doing anything. And uh, staying active with all the podcasts allowed me to, maybe I was staying inside this whole time, but I was being active. I was doing something. I was, it was intellectually stimulating for me. So uh, I just, I really enjoy doing it and I'm, I'm busy a lot, but uh, it, 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 it helps keep me on task, I think, and helps keep my life kind of structured. And uh, so I, I've enjoyed doing it. And, uh, I, and Nathaniel is, you know, he's great because he always tells me, hey, if you need to take a step back, 
feel free to take a step back. If you want to take a week or two off, feel free to do that. Uh, so he never pressures me to turn out more content. I turn out the amount of content that I feel comfortable doing. And uh, I think that's what makes it fun for me as I get to set the parameters of what I want to talk about. That's great because I know with the from the swamp to the swamp, when you do the, uh, not the interview so much, but even then the same, you always prepare and you write down, it's almost almost scripted when you do those um, solo shows on there. And I'm thinking that it's the same for, for the wind place where you script it before you well, actually do the show. That's interesting. So, so one of the changes that I made from the last time I talked with you actually was that I've really reduced the amount of scripting that I do for, uh, for the politics podcast. I, I still have an outline uh, and, and kind of like a outline that might be a page or two long. Um, but I don't script quite as much as I used to. And it, it's really, it's freed up a ton of time uh, to, yeah. to do it that way, uh, as well. And with the win place show, I also, you know, I will have kind of an outline and I will have talking points and I will make sure that I bring up certain things, but I don't script it out so carefully like I used to. And I think that's just a byproduct of me becoming more comfortable podcasting and more comfortable talking in front of the microphone and, and not being a perfectionist all the time. I think that was one of the things that was a real hang up for me when I first started was, you know, if I miss, if I misspoke, I would I would make a note to Nathaniel to, you know, make a change or, you know, I would re-record that sentence, you know, or, or re-record that phrase that I messed up on or something like that. I was really obsessed with being so exacting and precise. And I think as I've gotten more comfortable with the platform, I've just, you know, if I misspeak, I just correct myself right away and, and move on. And it's not the end of the world. So uh, I think Nathaniel is actually a huge fan of this because he doesn't have to do as much editing as he used to do for my shows. Uh, and uh, it's a little bit quicker for him. So, <clears throat> but, uh, but yeah, it, so it is, it's still a lot of work to obviously get it outlined, but it, it does free up a little bit more time not to be so exacting uh, on the language. Yes. Cause I remember that the last time you were saying to me that you were, the, there's instances where you would uh, hear the show when it's put out and then suddenly you would send messages in the middle of the night, basically to Nathaniel yeah. saying, "Oh, you need to change this because that that's that's not quite right." And this, that, yeah. and so there's less of that now. Then there is less of that. I mean, uh, I will still if I get something factually wrong, you know, if if I just if I say something and I don't even realize it, and then I end up saying, particularly when it comes to politics, you know, when it comes to horse racing, I think people are pretty forgiving. If I you know, uh, mispronounce a horse's name, or if I, uh, you know, if the horse is going off at six to one odds, and I say that it's going off at eight to one or something like that, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but if I am talking about politics and I say something is factually incorrect, uh, I will still occasionally write to Nathaniel, depending on the severity of it, and go, "Hey, when you have a chance." I, I messed up here and maybe we can, you know, put something else in. Uh, but that has not happened. Knock on wood. That has not happened in like the last four, four or five months. So, uh, so I, I think just feeling a little bit more free has also led to me not, uh, you know, messing up quite as much, quite frankly, I feel just more comfortable and, uh, more free flowing and it's led to, I, I think better podcasts. 
Hey, this is Greg at Bad Counsel. You want some good counsel? Keep listening to Pods Like Us with Marv and Down with Monarchy. <laughs> so <clears throat> I think I might be hitting a bit of a uh, hot potato here. So what, 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 what's, what's your opinion on, um, on you know, you know steeplechase races, things like over oh, here we, yeah. have the, we have the Grand National over here, which is, you know, quite, yeah. quite famous or infamous in some ways. Uh, what, what's your opinion on some of these um, um, obstacles that they place in the way of the horses, such as the famous yeah. uh, or infamous the chair on the Grand National, which is an enormous, uh, which catches a lot of horses out? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it, it's a really good question. And it is a controversial topic over here in the United States. Uh, steeplechase racing is not nearly as popular here as it is over in the UK. Um, it, there are still some tracks that do steeplechase racing, actually one, not far from where I live, uh, down in Southern Virginia, uh, has steeplechase racing. You know, I think it's something that most American audiences, uh, just don't really have much of an interest in. And I think at least here in the United States, there's not much of a culture of it. Also, our steeplechase races look a little bit different than yours in terms of the height and the width of the obstacles. And so it can lead to horses injuring themselves and breaking down and having to be euthanized. Obviously, nobody ever wants to see that. Uh, so that's always difficult. But, you know, honestly, the horses also break down and have to be euthanized on flat track racing, too. So it's not as if it's all that much different. Um, but it's certainly, you know, some of those equestrian events do look a little bit more scary. It's something that I enjoy uh, the equestrian element of it. Uh, I, I enjoy watching it, it, it you know, eventing and, uh, you know, the different equestrian activities, steeplechase racing. I enjoy watching it, but I absolutely understand why some people would cringe, um, or maybe not have the stomach for it because obviously seeing a horse go down is, uh, you know, it's amazing for as elegant as a horse looks running, uh, they look so bewildered and scared and, uh, kind of discombobulated when they fall. Uh, so, uh, you know, like I said, I certainly understand why some people wouldn't like it, but uh, it's something that I, I I do enjoy watching, and and it's not a huge sport here in the United States in terms of specifically steeplechase racing, but uh, something that when I watch over in the UK, I often see. So in the in in the US, then it's more about flat racing. Yeah, very much so, and that's you know those are the big races, and you know as I said, also one of the I think big distinctions between. European racing and American racing is in the United States, most of our races are on dirt. Whereas over in England, virtually all of the races are on turf yes, and are on the grass. And so, you know, in the United States, dirt racing is probably more popular amongst the casual fan because that's what the big triple crown races are. The Kentucky Derby and the Preakness and the Belmont those are all dirt races. And so for a lot of casual fans, that's all they know. Um, you know, that said, if you go to any track on any given day, probably three or four of the 10 or 12 races are going to be on the turf. Uh, so turf racing is still something we do a lot in the United States. They just don't have a lot of high profile turf races uh, necessarily outside of very elite events like the Breeders' Cup uh, in November. So uh, like I said, just not quite as popular and it's a different type of racing and, and it shouldn't be surprising that this year in particular, we've seen a lot of European horses come over to the United States and run on turf 
and against American horses, and they have just absolutely crushed the competition. Uh, the European horses have done so well uh, this year, and, and a lot of the very famous trainers, Aiden O'Brien and Charles Appleby, uh, have really put up some wonderful horses uh, over here in the U.S., and uh, so it's been exciting to watch the best in the world come and run in the United States. Well, that's an interesting one. So do, do you think... Do you think it, it makes a difference then the trainers and the actual breeders as to uh, as to the horses uh, te- techniques and how they how they um, perform? I, I do. I think you know there are certain horses that are just great, and you know you and I might be able to train them and not screw it up. You know <laughs> they're just they're just so elite that you just go okay. Like your job is just to get out of the way. Um, but I think there are certain trainers who, particularly when you start talking about like turf pedigree, just have a reputation of knowing how to evaluate a horse, knowing how, knowing what type of races to put that horse in the distance that they're going to be most comfortable with, um, the fields that they're going to be most comfortable with. And so in the United States, probably the preeminent turf trainer is a gentleman by the name of Chad Brown. Uh, and as I mentioned, Aiden O'Brien, Charles Appleby are really big names uh, over in the UK uh, and, and obviously run a lot of over here as well uh, in the big races. So I do think it's it's not a mistake that you see a lot of the same trainers have the best turf horses. And that's because I think they understand how to train those horses effectively, how they set them up and how they get them to perform on, on those given days. So uh, absolutely trainers, uh, make a huge impact. And, uh, you know, there are certain trainers that you just learn to look for, uh, and that you learn to trust in certain races and at certain tracks, uh, here in the United States, there are certain trainers who are, you know, predominantly on the East coast versus the West coast of the country. Uh, and then there are even regional trainers, you know, there are certain trainers who, have a regional reputation in Virginia and the mid-Atlantic states versus Midwestern trainers versus California trainers versus New York. So it's it's really interesting to see how that does have an impact on how the horses end up performing. And of course, the same goes for, for whoever the jockey is as well. They will they will control the horse differently and therefore the horse will respond differently to each individual jo- jockey. Absolutely. Yeah. There are some horses that, you know, it's interesting. There are, you know, you'll occasionally look at a racing form and every time, you know, it's not uncommon for a horse to have multiple jockeys over time because, you know, they're just scheduling conflicts and, you know, a jockey can't always be on the horse every race. And, but it is funny to sometimes see that every time a certain jockey is on a horse, that horse wins. And when that jockey is not on that horse, that horse does not win. And so you realize, you know, that jockey just has a really good feel for that particular horse. They have a good relationship. Uh, and it's funny, this past weekend when I was at a race in Pennsylvania, there was a jockey, very good jockey, uh, by the name of Ricardo Santana Jr., who was running this very impressive horse, Silver State, and went from last to first and was, uh, you know, coming down the home stretch, it looked like the horse was uh, going to win. And then you could see in the replay that the jockey kind of let up a little bit and thought he had the field put away. He thought he was going to win and he kind of let up a little bit and stopped pushing the horse. And another horse came in on the inside and ended up, you know, just nudging him out by a nose. Um, and so, you know, that, that, those sorts of things matter. So the rides that jockeys give the horses absolutely have a huge impact. 
absolutely. It's like it's like it's well to, to use use a yeah. It's it's a symbiosis. So mm-hmm. so when you've got two things that are that work together, yep. they will always work together differently to when two other uh, beings are, are working together. It's, it's like absolutely. a partnership in a business where two 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 humans will work. But if you take one of those management, uh, one of those managers out of the equation and put another person in there, there will be a slight difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you see that all the time with jockeys and trainers, you know, if a horse changes trainers, uh, they can either really decline or they'll really take off under the new trainer. So, um, and, and honestly, some horses are like that with tracks too, that they run really well on certain tracks and other tracks. They either don't like the dirt or they don't like the turf and they don't run as well. So, uh, they're all, those are all the sorts of variables that you have to take into consideration when you're trying to pick a particular race. Yeah, I've I've not followed racing for a while, so I mean, what, what's what's the ruling with the whips and um, and that uh, now in races? What's what's that? <laughs> that is the hot potato here in the United States. So okay, uh, and in the U.S., we don't have a national federation that governs horse racing. It's governed by each of the individual fifty states, and as a result, each state has a slightly different rule as it relates to using a crop on a horse, uh, which was commonly referred to as whipping. Um, and so in the state of New Jersey, for instance, they cannot use a crop unless in the case of an emergency. Uh, and that's very subjective. And I think a lot of jockeys therefore don't use it at all. And we witnessed a really bad uh, accident uh, that thankfully everybody was okay. But at one of the big races th- earlier this summer, uh, one of the horses uh, kind of got to the lead and started to drift, which happens regularly with horses. Uh, when they kind of get clear, they'll start to drift, you know, either into or out of the lane that they were in and drift into and out of the way of other horses. And this horse kind of drifted into the path of another horse and they clipped heels and the horse behind uh, went and fell down. Jockey got thrown off everything. And thankfully the horse and the jockey were all okay. Um, but I think anybody watching saw that and thought to themselves, geez, if that jockey had a whip or a crop, he could have made sure to use a left-handed crop and kind of keep that horse in its lane. I mean, that's a lot of what jockeys are doing. I mean, it's yes, you're using the crop to motivate the horse and to push the horse, but you're also using it to keep the horse going straight and not veering out or veering in. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, one of those things. And, you know, some States, they will allow jockeys to use a crop up to six times in a race. So there's quite literally in just a set number that you can use. Um, other, uh, States don't have any limitations. So it just varies by which state you're watching the race in. And, uh, that can be a little confusing if you're not familiar with the different rules and you might be sitting there watching and going, well, why is my jockey not you know, using the crop on the horse? Well, he can't. Uh, and so it's, uh, uh that that's kind of a constant uh, source of debate over here in the U S. I would have thought that they could have could have sort of like almost steered it by using the reins. So if they pull to the right, they'll mm-hmm. want the horse to move right. And if they pull to the left, they'd want the horse to move a bit more to the left. Or a, a horse is not quite as responsive as that. They So the horses are absolutely responsive uh, okay. in that way. Um, the problem is that when you are 
especially down coming down the home stretch, a lot of times you are very loose on the reins, meaning that you, so when a horse breaks initially from the starting gate, they, the jockeys have a great deal of control over the horse because they really are up on the reins. They're really holding the reins tight and they can move the, uh, horses around almost like using a joystick, uh, to make sure that they're placed in the proper place for the race. But when you're coming down the home stretch, you want that horse to run as fast as possible. So you really let the reins out. And when that happens, it, you don't have as much control over where the horse is going because the reins aren't as tight on the horse as they were at the beginning of the race. Um, th there's actually a really uh, kind of fascinating uh, event that took place a, a few weeks ago, probably about a month ago now, where these two horses in a very big race in New York, were coming down the stretch and they had pulled away from the rest of the field and they were neck and neck with each other. And the one horse on the outside just decided to start biting the horse on the inside <laughs> mid race uh, and, and really went after it. It was referred to as savaging and uh, horse racing. And so he really went after and savaged this other horse. And, and thankfully, the other horse was completely not bothered by it and just kept running. <laughs> Um, but when you watch the replay, you saw that the jockey had the reins so loose that it took him a second to kind of gather up the reins and get the horse's head back, you know, away from the other horse. Uh, so, you know, coming down the home stretch, like I said, they don't have quite as much control with the reins as they might at the beginning. And so therefore they do use their crop. Uh, and a lot of times you'll see the jockeys kind of waving their crop right by the horse's eyes. And that's just to keep the horse focused on continuing to go forward in a straight line, nothing else. And they're never hitting the horse when they do that. It's just a way of kind of brushing the horse on the side and just kind of reminding the horse to keep going straight uh, because they don't have quite as much control. Wow. That's quite a yeah. good explanation right there. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, uh, uh, yeah, that was, that was quite the, I mean, if any of your listeners, yeah, just, you, you just Google, uh, the horse's name was frenzy fire. Uh, and he savaged a horse called Yaupon, uh, Y-A-U-P-O-N. And uh, it's worth watching in slow motion because that frenzy fire really went after <laughs> the other horse. I've never seen anything like it. And the crazy part is he probably cost himself the race uh, because he was gaining on the other horse. And then he just, just decided to start biting him uh, and, and kind of lost ground a little bit and then made it back up, but not quite enough. Uh, so it was a it was a very bizarre finish to a race. Uh, and. and both are very good horses, uh, but uh, Yalpin actually just recently retired uh, because of an injury. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it was, it was kind of a crazy moment to see. G'day, g'day. This is Matty C from the Astros Fantasy Football Podcast way down in Australia. And we love getting to listen to Marv meet new podcasters from all over the world here on the Pods Like Us podcast. So going going into the betting again, just just for, for a short while, yeah. have, um, have you personally been in a situation then where you've seen long odds should we say where there's ridiculously so you might have something like uh 20 to 1 as opposed to te te 1 you know evens or something so you'd get better odds so even further i mean i've seen some yeah. odds like four i think 400 to 1 i've seen back in yeah so yeah no they're there so it's funny just this last weekend i was at a race and the winner of this one race was 109 to 1 wow. uh so a two dollar bet paid off 218 dollars 
Uh, and you, you see it all the time. I mean, you really do. You see uh, just about every single day at the track, you will see at least one race where there is a, at least 15 to one long shot that wins. And a lot of times to your point, it's usually a 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 or 40 to uh, one shot, uh, that ends up winning. So, uh, you, you know, winners in the morning line favorite only usually win about 35 to 40% of the time. Now, a lot of times it's the second or third horse that might only be going off at maybe three to one or five to one or something like that, uh, that ends up winning. But it's like I said, it's, it is not uncommon to see horses with really big odds, uh, uh win a race. And, uh, there was a race a few, a uh, few weeks ago that I did a, a preview for at a track called Kentucky Downs. Okay. Uh, it's kind of, it's a turf track. And there were, uh, in, in this one race, I just happened to pick the correct four horses uh, in the correct order in this one, in the fifth race. And if you had placed a $2 bet on the horses to finish in that order, you would have won $17,000. Uh, I, for, for some reason, I decided not to bet that race. Uh, so, oh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, like I said, I like to be at the track. So I, I usually don't bet if I'm not actually at the race. Uh, but that was one of those where, uh, I, I kind of went and saw that and I was like, oh, wow, the horses I picked and, you know, finished in the exact same order. I mean, that's really, really uncommon for anybody to do that. And, uh, and, and then I looked at the payoff and I was like, oh man, I wish I'd put $2 on that, but, uh, you live to fight another day. Absolutely. Have you been in a situation where you've been to a race and you've actually seen a long shot like that and you've seen the, the, the form that they're in before they actually go to the race and thought I will put a bet on that. And then you've, you've, it's actually come through and won and you've made a good amount of money out of it. Yeah. I just actually just not too long ago, I was at a racetrack in West Virginia and, uh, there was a horse that I just, yeah, I, I really liked the way the horse was warming up in the paddock. And I liked that the jockey was getting him really warmed up on the track before the race. And I also had been aware that a lot of the horses that got to the lead early ended up winning a lot of times at this particular track. And so I like that when you a jockey really aggressively warms up a horse, it usually means they're going to try to go to the lead early. And so all those kind of factors kind of clicked. And I said, Hey, that would be a good, good horse to put a couple bucks on. So I think I put a $10 bet to win and the horse went off at like 20 to one. And so I won like $200, which was nice. Uh, and so, uh, you know, th those are good days. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, a lot of times when I go to the track, uh, you know, I'll, I'll usually win, you know, I, I don't bet huge sums of money. So if I win, I win maybe, you know, 40 or 50 bucks, but if I lose, I only lose maybe 40 or 50 bucks. So it's not the end of the world. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going on to another tangent now because we're both, oh, we're both lovers of film. Are there any oh, actual yeah. films about horse racing that you are a fan of? Oh, you know, there, there actually are. Uh, so obviously there's, you know, films like the film Secretariat, uh, films about horses, you know, films like Seabiscuit and things like that. Um, however, I will tell you right now, one of my favorite movies as a kid, uh, was the movie, let it ride, which is a 1989 movie with Richard Dreyfus. And it's about, uh, a guy who is a habitual horse racing gambler who always has bad luck 
And it follows him one day at his favorite track where he ends up winning every single race. Wow. And, and betting the correct horse in every single race. And all of these other things are happening in his life with his wife and his family. And he's, you know, so there's a lot of other drama that's taking place around the track, but it's all happening within the backdrop of him continuing to win. And he keeps taking his winnings from the previous race and betting it all on the next race. And he just keeps getting more and more and more money. And so it's, uh, it, it, I, I remember watching that when I was like a kid, uh, my parents were clearly like grooming me to get involved in horse racing and, uh, and gambling a little bit. Uh, but I, uh, I love that movie. That's, that's a really fun one to watch. Um, and like I said, then, you know, the sea biscuits and the secretariats, uh, and, and those types of movies are, are obviously a lot of a really great kind of historical documents to remind people about the connections and the horses of, of years that have gone by. Absolutely. You you had me at uh, Richard Dreyfus because I think he's a fantastic actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he is. He's a really great actor. What's up, everybody? This is Chris from the podcast Real Film Reviewed, and you're listening to Marv on Pods Like Us. So have you actually thought about, oh, did, did, mind you, considering how much time you've got, you might not be able to do this. Are there any of the other sports videos where, where you, you and Nathaniel have thought, maybe we could make a show out of that or maybe not. Yeah, I think, uh, golf is definitely one because, uh, Nathaniel's, uh, co-host on binge bros, Joey, Joey is a really big golf fan. And so that's a sport that I think, you know, he could do something potentially if he ended up, you know, he has, he's got a pretty strenuous job, but if he ever had the free time, golf is definitely a sport that he could end up doing something for. Um, I think, you know, the, some of the guys who work, on the podcast mundane madness. Uh, they, those guys know a lot about college football here in the United States or, you know, American football as it's referred to, you know, not to confuse it with soccer. Uh, but the, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, horse racing is kind of a good niche for me. I, I obviously, I know a lot about professional American football, uh, and I, know a lot about basketball in the United States. So, I mean, those are kind of the two other sports that I could probably go in on and do something. But I think for right now, we're just really excited about horse racing. And the other thing about horse racing is that it's a year long sport. You know, people are running someplace in the United States all year round, uh, that when it gets cold in the North, you know, the horses go down to Florida and South Texas and California where the weather is nice and warm. Uh, and then, you know, in the summer when it's too hot down South, they run up in, uh, you know, New York and Illinois and Virginia and places like that. So it, uh, it's a year round sport. So it's going to keep me busy all the time. Absolutely. I mean, so, some sports like, uh, baseball, for instance, I think there's so many, there are so many baseball podcast shows out there already. And, and, the, and that, that also goes for, uh, um, uh, for, for, for football as well. Whereas college football, I think probably is a bit more of a niche that you're right. I think there could be something possibly there. Yeah. And I think a lot of, you know, the, the college football podcasts that are out there are a lot of times just focused on one university, you know, or a, you know, so people who really love the university of Alabama or Clemson or the university of Florida, uh, there are podcasts specifically for those schools, but yeah, I think there's, 
uh, there's absolutely, I think, a, an opportunity for those guys because they, they, like I said, they know a ton about college football. Uh, and, and that is a religion in the southern part of the United States. People love college football down south. Uh, so uh, that, that's definitely something we might look into. Uh, and, and maybe one of these days we might actually turn Nathaniel into a sports fan uh, because he knows so little about sports that it's it's almost alarming uh but he, he's busy with a lot of other stuff and he's got his other interests that i don't know much about so uh we we all kind of give him grief about that i'll just say good luck with that uh, that goal of yours <laughs> to get nathaniel interested in sport. <laughs> yeah it's not gonna happen <laughs> no. <laughs> no so what other shows do you listen to uh, then matthew Oh, geez. You know, I, I listen to uh, a lot of shows about movies. Uh, I like watching, uh, I like listening to a show called The Big Picture, uh, which is about uh, Hollywood and the Oscars and a lot of uh, movies that are coming out and uh, and even thinking back on movies of yesteryear and things like that. Uh, there's another podcast called The Rewatchables that I enjoy a great deal at uh, kind of talks about movies that are maybe 20 or 30 years old, but are endlessly rewatchable. You know, the type of movies that when they come on TV, you just kind of stop what you're doing and you have to watch, you know, that scene or you have to watch until the end uh, sort of a thing. So that's, that's an enjoyable one because it's a little nostalgic and it kind of takes you back and reminds you, Oh gosh, that's why I love this movie so much, you know, sort of a thing. Um, and then I've started to listen to a couple of other podcasts, uh, associated with horse racing. Now there's, there's a group of guys called on the wrong lead. Uh, and they do a horse racing podcast and show, uh, and, and they're a, a lot of fun to listen to. And it's kind of a group of three or four guys who, uh, kind of do what I do kind of pick some of the races and, uh, they're really nice guys. I've got a chance to kind of interact with them a little bit. And, uh, and, and they're, uh, uh, always really entertaining and very insightful. So like watching, uh, like listening to that and, you know, then I, uh, I also, you know, honestly, I'm a good company, man. I listen to all of the Amalfi uh, media podcasts as well. So I listen to the Blaine DeSanta show and I listen to Natty and Joey on binge bros and listen to Sarah on no fear finance and listen to chasing Cooper on mundane madness. So I, <laughs> I, you know, keeping up with all of them is, uh, keeps me busy in my free time. Uh, uh, oh dear me. Mon mundane madness with uh, chasing Cooper makes me laugh so much. <laughs> No, those two guys, I mean, they're, they're lifelong friends and you can tell it, they have a great rapport with each other uh, and they love arguing over the most ridiculous things. And uh, no, they, they crack me up and, and I, uh, I, I've enjoyed getting to know them a little bit. I've gotten to know uh, Chase in particular. I, I did a little, did a few videos with him uh, about golf. And so he's, he's a great guy to, to work with. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, they, they've just brought a different energy to Amalfi and I'm thrilled to have him as part of the team. You've given me a suggestion idea here for a golf show with you, Chase, and Joey then around a table discussing golf. That, I'd love to do that. I'd love to. We need to get Joey away from his job a little bit more. But yes, I, <laughs> I'd love to do that. Uh, so I, I think that would be great. Absolutely. So this is interesting now as a returning guest. What advice mm -hmm. would you give to people in podcasts? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think that you know, what you brought up a second ago is really important. And I think it's something we've discovered a little bit at Amalfi is find your niche, you know, find something you enjoy. Don't try to go broad because that's where you think the most people are. Um, you know, to your example, 
don't sit there. If you're a sports fan, if you're a generic sports fan, don't sit there and just start saying, well, I'm going to do a football podcast. Well, there's <laughs> hundreds of thousands of football podcasts. Um, you know, if you're going to do one like that, find an interesting slant on it, find an interesting niche um, that is comfortable for you. And, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate that I just kind of stumbled into the whole horse racing thing. And I realized like, oh, this is something that, you know, yes, there are some horse racing podcasts, but there aren't that many. And, oh, this is interesting and this is fun. And I think that's the other thing is the, the other advice is do something that you enjoy. You know, I've talked a little bit about how much time I spend, you know, researching and doing all that. I would absolutely hate doing a podcast <laughs> where I have to spend so much time researching and working on it if I didn't absolutely love the subject matter that I was working on. Um, so, you know, find that niche subject that is interesting to you. And there are 7 billion people in this world. It's going to be interesting to somebody else. And don't worry about, oh, well, this this sport has, or, or this topic has, you know, all these hundreds of millions of listeners. Okay. That's great. You know, you don't need hundreds of millions of listeners to start out. You just need, you know, a, a few dozen and, and that can grow to a few hundred and that can grow to a few thousand and, and so on and so forth. So, um, you know, that's what we've seen at Amalfi. And, and I think that's the advice that I would give people starting out is, is find that niche and, and find something you love and talk about it because that enthusiasm is going to come through on the podcast. And, and that's something uh, my mom always comments uh, when she listens to my horse racing shows. She always says, she goes, Matthew, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about all the time, but you're really excited about it. And that makes me <laughs> excited about it. And so, um, and, and so I think that, and, and I, I pick that up on other people's podcasts as well, that the energy you bring is so important. Uh, and so pick a topic that energizes you and makes you excited. Hey there, this is Bobby with the Rock Guys Podcast, and you are listening to Marv Smooth on the Pods Like Us Podcast. Check him out. Absolutely. I mean, when the when you started this uh, the 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 win the place show, I was actually surprised in a way because I was expecting. I thought, oh, if Matthew's going to do any sport, it'll be wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right about that. I mean, no, yeah, because I do have the background of professional wrestling, and my dad certainly does too. And you know, I think that would be. I don't know if we could ever turn it into a full time podcast, but I would love to do something like that with my dad, because he has such a background, obviously running a professional wrestling franchise for uh, close to a decade and, um, and myself being a ring announcer for five or six years and being pretty involved in the business. And I just think it would be so much fun to, to kind of get him and I to talk about that and to do something in that space. So that's something we're still working on. I got to sometimes convince my, I got to twist his arm a little bit because he can be a little curmudgeonly about whether or not he wants to talk about it. it depends on the day. So I'll have to kind of keep on him about that. That's another one. I need to say good luck with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Ch changing my dad's mind is next to impossible. So, uh, but I, uh, if anything, I have to go through Magda because if Magda, if I can convince my stepmother, then she's much better at convincing my dad to start doing things. So I need to talk to her about it. That's, that's where it needs to start. That's where to go when, when people are married or in a relationship, always go to, <laughs> exactly. always go to the partner. <laughs> exactly. 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 So where can people find you and get in touch with you then, Matthew? Yeah. So you can find uh, the Win Place show or the from the swamp to the swamp on 
any of your podcast uh, platforms, uh, whether it's Apple or Google or Spotify, uh, what have you, uh, you can find it there. Just do a simple search. Um, you can also find us on Twitter, uh, where I'm very active, at least on, on both horse racing and politics. So uh, my uh, political from the swamp to the swamp podcast feed Twitter is at from the swamp pod. And then my uh, horse racing Twitter is the handle at failed to menace, uh, which is a horse racing note that is in the horse racing forms uh, that I'll sometimes say that a horse failed to menace. And I always thought that was the funniest phrase to use uh, because I just imagined a very angry and upset horse trying to menace people and not and not being successful at it. Uh, so uh, at Failed to Menace, you can reach us there. And then obviously go to the website at amalfimedia.com. And that's where you can get all of our stuff, our blogs, our podcasts, uh, our videos, everything. Uh, and then the WinPlay show, as I mentioned, you know, is still YouTube as well. So if you go on YouTube uh, and just search for the WinPlay show, uh, you can find the YouTube feed there and subscribe to that if you'd like. Okay. And I hate to do this, but I've just remembered a joke I was going to come out with earlier when you were talking about being on Twitter with the, the horse racing. And I thought you, you could always have a subgroup called Trotter. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. That's a really good one. I might have to get that hashtag started, actually. Uh, so <laughs> That's a lot of fun. I love it. Oh, dear. Can't believe that I didn't mention the uh, the fantastic theme tune. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that well, that was it was funny because I I kind of wanted to, I didn't know how to do it's on the podcast. We all have kind of intro music, mm -hmm. and so I was like, well, how am I going to do intro music on a YouTube video? And like, <laughs> I didn't want to make it difficult for Nathaniel, and so and and. What was really interesting was when I started recording, I thought at first I would try to whistle because I, I usually whistle that tune, which is kind of okay. the starters, you know, the post time uh, tune and I'll typically whistle it. But when you whistle for, you know, into a microphone, it just picks up a lot of the air and you don't really pick up the, the tune uh, all that well. And so I found myself going, you know, and it was just easier to do that and kind of do it like, you know, in that way. And so it was, uh, and it just kind of stuck and, you know, everybody needs a little gimmick or something that's a little different or unique about their show. And I just thought, well, that's what I'll do. So that's just kind of what I've kept doing every episode. <laughs> I'm now imagining, uh, your, your dad, uh, Blaine, being on the show and both of you harmonizing that at the beginning. Oh, yeah. No, dad, <laughs> dad, we would love to do that. That's fantastic. Now, now I have to have dad on just to do that. Uh, so <laughs> if nothing else. So, yeah, I'll take uh, yeah, I'll take like the treble baritone. And he'll take the bass and it'll be uh, that'll be good. So, uh, no, we, we can do that. And then I'll have somebody with bits of coconut doing the trotting in the background as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. A bit exactly. Like, a bit like Shakespeare with, the, was it what you do about nothing when they do that? That's exactly right. That's exactly Absolutely. right. Yeah. So, was, that, so that, was that Michael Keaton in what you do about nothing? Oh, I, get, uh, oh, I can't remember who else it was as well. That were the police who were, because it was like, it's the old, um, I think it does actually come from from uh, Shakespeare himself, where where they have people with these w walking along. It's pretending that they're on a horse, isn't it? 
right in the right, plays. Right. So yeah, I forget who is. Oh, I forget who's in, in that though. Um, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's so. Uh, like I said, it was uh, out of necessity we had to uh, you know come up with an alternative to a theme song. So it was me just doing <laughs> doing that. <laughs> but we had fun with it. I think it works very well though. It's, it's different. Yeah, yeah, it's different, and it's and it's short. You know, it's it's you know just a couple seconds, so it's not like something you get tired of, or you kind of go, okay, this is fast forward, you know, sort of a thing. <laughs> um, you know, it's over pretty quickly, and it's something that is just synonymous with horse racing. It's not like I'm doing some random tune. It's something that anybody who goes to the races hears the post time, uh, you know, bugle call, and uh, and and you know. And that's something that's just kind of ingrained in most people's memories. Even if they don't go to the track very often, they know that tune, they know that sound. So, um, yeah, so I, I think it works and it's something that, like I said, just helps, uh, helps me kind of get started and then, uh, gets going on the episodes. Anyway, thank you, Matthew, for speaking with me today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Marv. It's always a pleasure talking to you and uh, look forward to continuing to follow all the great things you're doing. And uh, just thank you again for having me and, and the rest of us from Amalfi Media on your podcast. Thank you very much. If anybody wants to get hold of myself, there is now a an official email for podslikers at gmail.com. And there's also the website, themarvzone.org, where you can find all show details and uh, links to shows and show suggestions for yourselves as well to listen to and to watch. So for now, thank you very much for listening. And I hope you listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. get rid of the video then hey marv hey matthew how are you doing i'm doing well how are you uh, not not too bad not too bad that's, that's good by the way the entire family says hello uh nathaniel <laughs> my dad everyone so uh they were all jealous that i came got a second uh second chance to come chat with you today yes i know um I, i've had a talk with uh, nathaniel about the binge bros but he said just he want it would just be him and not not joey yeah 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 joey's got um he's got a uh a pretty hectic job um uh right now so he's uh you know he works in the financial sector and he's just starting out so he's he's pretty busy busy young man uh but uh uh but yeah so that's uh yeah so we, we always have something new coming up though Yes, he's, he's very fun though on the binge bros when he when he make makes these predictions and things and yeah. Whatever, he what, is. what is it? Apple is Apple is going to the be the big hitter of streamers in the future. He says. Oh yeah. <laughs> I know I give him grief about that stuff sometimes. It's good. So so do I. I contact him on, <laughs> on Instagram because I know he does the Instagram page and I said to him, Oh yeah. I said yeah. to him about it, I said, not in England.
<laughs> no, no, I, I don't think in the United States either. <laughs> no. in, in England, I think the new uh, the new biggie will be uh, Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, it's just such a. I mean, that's just such a monster, and it's it, it's just it's not going to go anywhere because it's you know the parents are always going to have their kids, and their kids are always going to watch Disney. You know, yeah. movies like it's just that's always going to have content that people want, and yeah, I mean Disney just has unlimited—not maybe not unlimited, but virtually unlimited pockets to just keep putting money into this. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's that's the dominant force. Yeah, and like I said, Joey, the plus point in England is that we've got got this service on Disney Plus called Star, mm. which uh, because there's no Hulu in the UK. All of the, uh, all of the, what would be Hulu in America, all of that is actually on the Star service in, on as part of Disney Plus. Oh, interesting. Okay. So we've got oh. all the twentieth uh, century Fox films and television shows as well. Oh wow, that's quite the quite the hookup right there. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they've started putting touchstone pictures on there as well. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so thank you for having me on again, Marv. I appreciate it. And, uh, okay. thank, I, thank been, you for offering. Oh yeah, of course. And, and I always enjoy following your, uh, your listening habits and, uh, <laughs> I, I always enjoy seeing what you're listening to and, uh, and, and you, you've managed to introduce me to a few new podcasts. So, uh, that's been great. Okay. It is the fear of me asking what, what, what have you, uh, what have you listened to then lately? Uh, Spy Hearts is the one that I've been uh, listening to. So. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So just, you know, I don't get a chance to listen to them all the time, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, like I said, just, I, you know, I see it, I see that you're listening to it all the time and I'm like, well, you know, I gotta, I gotta start checking these out. So, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's been, it's been enjoyable. I think Nathaniel's gotten turned on to a few too. I forget which ones, but he mentioned something the other day that he was, he was, he said, he's like, oh yeah, I picked something up from Marv. So I said, okay, so <laughs> I forget which one. So I think I think that makes me happier than anything actually when people pick up on shows that I've had on. Oh yeah, yeah. To, think, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's great. I mean, that's how um you know, a lot of times that's how I find out about most of the podcasts that I end up listening to, or I don't necessarily like search them out. It's I I hear somebody on another podcast mention them. Uh and that kind of goes, oh, well, I like this podcast and this person that I'm listening to says this other podcast is good. So I should probably check that out. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of word of mouth is how I tend to find new stuff. That's great. That's really yeah. good. But SpyArd is one where I have to, oh, I'm still so far behind, but I have to catch up and I've purposely avoided going onto their letterbox page because I don't know, I don't want to know what ratings they've given films that I've not heard them talk about you i know i know i know so yeah it's uh it's the same it's the same thing with me so there there are some that i just avoid and then yeah so it's uh and 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 i, I don't know about you but i've gotten in the habit of i i make promises to myself that i will watch certain things and then i end up not watching them and so then i need to but then i'll save the podcast that are like a recap of the movie for months and i keep telling myself like i'm gonna get around to watching that and i just never do so it's a bad habit i guess i'll, I'll have to do that one of these days where i watch the film that they're going to talk, speak about and then listen to it afterwards yeah 
Yeah. So, um, a bit but, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like Joey with the uh, Harry Potter films. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know he's doing that. And, uh, and I know here in the United States, at least a lot of people are starting to rewatch the Sopranos, uh, the HBO mo- uh, show, because uh, there's a movie coming out called the many saints of Newark, which yes. is a prequel essentially to the Sopranos. So a lot of people are going back and rewatching all of the Sopranos uh, before they go and watch this new movie. So that, that's kind of interesting, I think. It must be very strange for James Gandolfini's son to be playing a young version of a character that his father played. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I, I can't imagine. And, and he, you know, he looks like him a little bit. It's not the, the you know, he's so young that and Gandolfini, uh, James Gandolfini was middle aged by the time he became famous that, you know, there isn't too much of an uh you know, similarity in terms of looks. And so, you know, hopefully he's able to forge his own path, but you're right. I mean, it's gotta be kind of a surreal moment for him to, to do that. And um, I just saw there's a movie coming out, a Paul Thomas Anderson movie coming out uh, called uh, licorice pizza that stars uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. Uh, wow. And who, who of course worked with Paul Thomas Anderson on a number of movies, uh, boogie nights and the master. And so, Magnolia uh, as well, I think. Yeah, Magnolia. That's right. Uh, he's great, Magnolia. God, and um, and so that's got to be kind of surreal for you know Philip Seymour Hoffman's son to be now working with this guy who collaborated in so many iconic movies with his dad. So it's uh, uh, yeah, very interesting. But that looks like a really good movie, actually. So I, I just saw the trailer for that maybe yesterday. But yeah, so always good stuff out there on the horizon. There is. So are you going to guest on Binge Bros? with your knowledge <laughs> every once in a while i'll uh you know i'll give them a pitch about uh having me on for something so um but it's funny you know they really are into the marvel stuff and uh they're into you know some of the and some of the television shows they really like to watch are not ones that i have gotten around to watching so our tastes kind of don't always overlap and and I just don't have the time to do this, like, you know, huge binge of like Falcon and the Winter Soldier and like all of these other Marvel shows to catch up. So um, it's uh, so every once in a while I try to get on. And uh, if, if nothing else, I just try to influence what they talk about every once in a while. <laughs> That's good enough because I'll I'll give them a movie they need to watch and then they, then they'll kind of talk about it, you know, a couple of episodes later. So that's good enough for me. Yeah, I did a group group chat yesterday, didn't I? with uh, with some people and me and tom who does uh, the two legs podcast about paul mccartney and he does um, mm-hmm. another beatles related show talk more talk he we, we were both saying to each other that we've really if only we had the time both of us would love to do a show all about gangster films and mafia films oh, yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean that's that's such a rich subtext and such a rich subgenre. It's funny. I just last night I was watching Goodfellas uh and or two nights ago, I guess it was Monday night. Um but yeah, I mean there's so many great I mean going all the way back to the old James Cagney movies here in the United States, uh you know and and, yeah exactly public enemy. So many great movies. Uh and yeah all the way you know through the Godfather up to through the Scorsese films and yeah, there's a rich lineage of that in the United States and, and and abroad too. I mean, that's the interesting part is that virtually every country has their kind of version or take on gangster movies. So, 
We know too much about too much. <laughs> I know. That's what my dad and I are like this. When we sit down to talk, we just could talk for hours about just about anything. And, uh, uh, and, and then we never get around to the topic that we were originally going to talk about. But yeah, that's okay. It's still fun to talk about the other stuff. <laughs> it is. It is. How's, how's your dad getting on then with the, uh, with the new show and the format? Oh, you know, he really likes it. I think it gives him a lot more freedom. Uh, he can be a little bit more himself. I mean, the, I think the version of my dad that you see on the Blaine DeSanta show is much more the the person that I grew up with and yeah. much more the person that, uh, you know, makes me laugh and uh, and is and, you know, has strong opinions, certainly, but also you know, finds really unique stories. And I, I think that's what he really enjoys doing is kind of finding stories from around the globe and finding stories that are even passed over here in the United States and kind of highlighting them and talking about why they're significant. And so he's having a blast with it and it's just so much fun. And I, I can tell that he feels a lot more free uh, to do the show. And, and so it's led to him being able to do more of them uh, than he, I think, would otherwise because he doesn't feel quite as bogged down by the research and all of the uh, minutiae that he was going through on uh, snapshots. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It allows him just to be free and just do, if he wants to trail off, if, if he feels like. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't see Sarah doing a Sarah DeSantis show though. <laughs> no, I can't. It's funny. I, I love my sister very much, but I can't see her doing that either. And uh uh, but you know, it's funny. She's got her little niche in Amalfi with these micropods and that's really her thing is, um, you know, five to seven minute, um, you know, uh, pods and, and that's kind of what she does. And I think if, you know, there was a younger version of Sarah that honestly, if she were to do a podcast 10 years ago, it would have been like the Sarah DeSantis show would have been a Harry Potter podcast. Uh, and she would have just spent all day talking about every aspect of Harry Potter. She loved those books, loved those movies. Uh, and uh, yeah, but she's, uh, yeah, she's got, you know, I, I, she's got her little niche with the finance pod, but yeah, I, I don't see her uh, cutting loose the same way dad does. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm taking up your time. I suppose we ought to get on with the show properly. Oh, no, not a problem. Not a problem. I need to remember to bring up the uh, the fantastic theme tune as well. Oh, that <laughs> will do. That was fun. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really appreciated that. That was great. That was a lot of fun talking to you about this. There were a lot of tangents in there. Yeah, I like tangents, though. Those are good. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed talking to you. And you, you came up with some good ideas. I need to pass along to Nathaniel, too. So, <laughs> I, I don't know why I, I do that very often. I'll be talking mm -hmm. to people like, like Nathaniel. When, I, when I've spoken to Nathaniel on my, on, when he was on, I was saying to him, oh, you could do this. And you could almost hear him writing writing it down on a pad. Yeah, the yeah. Side of yeah. No, that's one thing. That kid is a sponge. I mean, he just soaks it all up. And I, you know, I told him the other day because I suggested something and he was like, oh, we can try that. And I told him, I said, Nathaniel, you can tell me it's a bad idea. If you think it's a bad idea, we don't have to do it all the time. <laughs> like, it's, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you say, I don't know if that'll work, you know, because I just come up with stuff sometimes off the top of my head. And sometimes it's a good idea and sometimes it's not, but he is so funny. I'm like, you can tell me it's all, 
tell me it's bad. It's okay. Uh, so, you know, we're family. You're not going to insult. <laughs> I, I get the impression, though, that, that Nathaniel is very open to these ideas and he will just try them to see where it goes. Yeah, totally. That's exactly the way he is. Uh, he just, try, yeah, he tries things and he's not afraid to reverse course. You know, if, it, if it's something that doesn't work, then okay, then we'll kind of go in another direction with it. Um, but yeah, he's not. And I think that's the beauty of starting the way we did too, is starting small is, you know, if you, if you, if we make a mistake, if we mess up, it's not the end of the world. And uh, it's easy enough to go back and correct it and learn from our mistakes and learn from what didn't work and find something that does. So now he's, he's got a great adaptable attitude about all that. And, uh, it, it really is the necessary attitude if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to be, uh, innovative. So, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that he entertains all of my ideas, whether they're good or bad. Okay. Anyway, thank you for your time, Matthew. I'll let you get on now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, thank thanks you. so much, Marv. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time and, uh, yeah, have a wonderful evening and, uh, I'll talk to you later. Thank you very much. I'm hoping I'm looking forward to your third show so I can have you back on again. <laughs> that sounds good. I might have to do some finagling with my job to have a third one, but we'll we'll see what we can do. <laughs> okay. Take care, Matthew. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Marv. You too. Thank you. Bye. Yep. Yeah, bye bye.